Hello and welcome to episode 268 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryce and Poza. We don't have Jacob with us again this week, but the Blue Jays are doing just fine without him right now. They bounce back <laughs> after a series sweep by the Boston Red Sox. They sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's a bounce back for the ages. Bryson, how are you? I'm doing good, Mark. What a way to bounce back. And it's kind of a moment to exhale, I think, if you're a Blue Jays fan. It's kind of funny. We were here a couple days ago talking about, I guess, of course, what happened in Boston. And, of course, on the contrarian side, we mentioned a little bit about the Leafs. And here we are a couple days later. And it's like the roles are reversed again uh, in terms of what the the, uh, Jays did this weekend to recover. And then, of course, with the Leafs now pretty much on the brink of elimination, uh, so it's definitely interesting to see the ups and downs that we've gone through over the last week, but this was a fun weekend and, uh, I'm going to be really excited to talk about what happened this weekend in Pittsburgh. It was really fun. Yeah. I, I will say Jacob is absent independent of the Leafs, but certainly <laughs> their loss tonight does not look good for him. They're now down. It's three and oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of brutal. Um, but anyways, let's talk about the good <laughs> things going on in Toronto yes. sports and that's the Blue Jays. Um, Yeah, they get swept by the Red Sox and then turn it right around against a team that has been playing pretty good in the Pittsburgh Pirates. I know entering this series, Pittsburgh had just been swept themselves by the Tampa Bay Rays. But I mean, the Rays aren't really a barometer to measure yourself by just based on how well they've been playing this year. The Blue Jays aside, because the Blue Jays are one of the only teams that was actually able to get to them. And so the Pirates enter hot, the Blue Jays enter not so hot, but the roles kind of reversed and the Blue Jays take off they sweep the series um I think you know all three of these games are really really complete wins for the Blue Jays but I think their success goes back to the starting pitching and that's kind of what we were picking on in that series in Boston where you know none of the four starters had good outings and that flipped on its head in this series you have Chris Bassett in game one throwing a gem you have Jose Barrios in game two giving up two runs but having a perfect game into the fifth inning, and then you have Yusei Kikuchi in Game 3 shutting the Pirates down. So I think that's really where all this starts from, and already you can kind of see the domino effect that we talked about last episode, where as soon as the starting pitching becomes good again, the bullpen starts to look a lot better, and once the bullpen starts pitching good, you've got a dominant pitching staff. So it just goes back to the starting rotation. I I think we kind of saw that take root in this series, and of course, Jay Jackson is a new addition to the bullpen. So I'm curious what you thought of the Blue Jays' performance writ large, but specifically the starting pitching, because that's something that really flipped on its head from midweek with the Red Sox to the weekend with the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's it's so bizarre to me that it, it's hard to explain about how you go from what we saw in Boston uh, a completely just a team that looked nothing like the team that we've been used to seeing all of this season, basically. And then this weekend, they basically go back to that in terms of that dominating team uh, from the starting rotation. And of course, the important part about this is that it was the three, four, five of the starting rotation. So you're relying, of course, uh, probably the most confidence, of course, in Chris Bassett once again, but you were relying on good starts from Jose Brios and Yusei Kikuchi. And that's exactly what happened uh, throughout this weekend. Out of all those um, pitchers, out of all those total in terms of those three only two earned runs allowed from the starting rotation this weekend I mean that's insane and that's incredible and I mean it just again it shows just the weird difference or the weird I guess blip what happened in Boston and the fact that they were able to recover and we were talking about this extensively before um 
before this weekend in terms of the lack of the off days until after this series. So it was more about how are the Blue Jays going to be able to get through this uh, through this series unaffected with the bullpen or trying to limit it as much as possible. And of course, it came down to the fact that all three of the starting pitching or pitchers needed to have a good outing. It was just definitely a little bit more difficult to, I guess, be completely optimistic about that just because of what we saw uh, at the beginning of the week. It was just something where it was like, yeah, I mean, it's possible, but after what we just saw, is this something that's going to carry on a little bit longer? Is this going to be kind of just a, you know, I guess a, a, just the beginning of a rough stretch, but it turned out to just to be uh, a blip in the radar. And then, of course, right back on Friday night with Chris Bassett, uh, he got back in control. And, of course, this turn rotation transitioned back into that. And I think as well on the second game, Jose Brios looked really good again on the mound. I mean, he was he was emotional on the mound. He was getting big outs. He was getting strikeouts. And, of course, he goes past six innings as well. And then, of course, today with Yusei Kikuchi, who, again, puts up another quality start and uh, what he did today. He definitely probably would have wanted to go a little bit longer, but the fact of the matter is today with the rain delay and everything like that of what happened on the Sunday game it was a good way to complete that sweep and I think that was the most important part for me I predicted a Friday Saturday win and I thought the biggest uh, or the toughest game for them was going to be on that Sunday but it turned out uh, to be one of the easiest ones with their 10-1 victory so it was good that they were able to explode offensively as well on I guess the series finale today and kind of put a bow um, on this entire weekend in total but I mean it was just a fun weekend and definitely a ballpark that the Jays don't go to a lot, a team they don't face a lot. They were able to be in control. They were able to rebound. And you mentioned it, Mark, a team in the Pirates who were also coming off of a sweep against the Tampa Bay Rays. And now they drop another three uh, against the Blue Jays. So they're definitely in a little bit of, uh, I I don't want to say panic mode, but maybe more of a little bit of a concern mode uh, in terms of, I guess, the expectations with that team and, of course, how good they started. But the Jays were able to rebound against a team who has been playing good this season as much as what you want to make out of the Pittsburgh Pirates start. They've been one of the better teams in in the NL Central, um, regardless if you like that or not. And I think that was also important for the Blue Jays to get back out there and pretty much get their confidence back or get their confidence back and really turn things around. And I think it was really pretty much, it was definitely well needed. It was definitely a must. I just, I don't know how many people would have predicted a sweep. Uh, Of course, none of us did, unfortunately, but I think any of us coming out of this weekend winning two out of three would have been definitely acceptable or, you know, fair with that. And the fact that they were able to complete that sweep today in the Sunday game, that was huge and very important, I thought. And, of course, as well, on that Friday game, I thought them starting the way they did as well with the 4 nothing win. I thought that was also a really good way to start off the weekend as well. Yeah, none of us certainly saw it coming. You were the closest with two out of three. And, I mean, your lead right now in the uh... – Series prediction standings is just increasing as we speak, although we've got a lot of time to catch up. You know, we're only, what, 35 games into the season, so we've still got time. But, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I knew Pittsburgh was going to revert to what we all expected them to be at the start of the season at some point. Like, they're not going to be a team that, you know, whatever 20 and 14 is, it's like a 590 winning percentage. They're not going to be a team that ends the season at 590. So I, I knew they would come back to earth at some point. I just didn't think the Blue Jays were the, going to be the ones to do it or at least extend that trend that had continued with the Tampa Bay Rays. But apparently the Blue Jays had it in them. And you said that you were kind of baffled by the Blue Jays' ability to just, you know, flip the coin, become an entirely different team in a span of 24 hours. I have a theory for why that happened, or I guess kind of the root cause that the Blue Jays allowed the Blue Jays to do that, whereas last season it may have been a deeper trend. I think that is kind of the 
thing that's been harped on since the first day of spring training, and that's the maturity of this group, the experience of this group, I guess, in that they're go- that they're constructed to avoid these long stretches. They're constructed to avoid the one in ten road trip out west that we saw last season that resulted in Charlie Montoya's firing. Like they are built to avoid that and the maturity that they have the tone that's been set with the team the attitude that we've seen day in and day out since day one of spring training I think that's part of the reason why they were able to turn things around so soon and so I think we're already seeing kind of the benefits of that attitude I know we've seen it throughout the season but to me this is one of the biggest indications that this sort of attitude this tone this mindset of maturity and taking it one day at a time and all those cliches that we like to talk about I think this is the clearest example we've had so far of it taking root I don't think last year's team would have been able to come out of a series loss a series sweep a four-game sweep at Fenway break out of a five-game losing streak and go on to sweep a team that's had so far a good start to the season I don't think last year's team would have been able to do that And so, again, we've done it throughout the year, but we're going to credit the maturity and the tone and the attitude that this team has with making it a better team this year. Like, I don't know how much the Blue Jays are improved off on the field, but off the field, it seems monumental, the changes that they've made. And I think this weekend alone shows us that. And it's funny you say that, too, because that mirrors what Chris Bassett said after Friday, basically... Uh, pretty much just crediting the veteran leadership that they have and, you know, saying it feels good to know that I made the right decision to come here. I mean, I think that was obviously a tremendous quote from him to say that. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely mirrors that. And, like, we, we know the way, as much as it is early and, of course, and everything like that, you look at the AL East, I mean, it is incredible in terms of to see all these teams that are gotten off to the starts they've gotten off to minus the Yankees who I think we're having a fun time watching right now based on what's going on with them but you know what I mean in terms of just everyone that's winning games I mean from top to bottom and you have that you have that on top of you know what happened against Boston this week like those are killers of what happens dropping four in a row like that like that can really be a downward spiral for who knows how long and and then it can you know it can lead to stretches where you're losing consecutive series as you're not playing well. There's no confidence. There's no boost. Anything like that. We've seen that before, not just with this team, but across baseball. And there's lots of stories with that. And the fact that they were able to, once again, respond with a sweep, I just, I find that crazy. And again, it's just, it's the last thing I would have predicted uh, coming into this weekend. Just, it's, and it was just the way they were doing it. Like these weren't games that they were just getting by. It was it was games that they were in control of from the start of the game. Like these were games where they were getting out to starts fast starts in like the first inning. And of course, we we talked already about how the starting rotation's been good. The bullpen for the most part was really good as well. They were doing their part as much as they had a, a sizable gap in some of the games, especially of course in the game today on the Sunday. But in terms of what happened on Friday and Saturday when it was four nothing uh, in game one, and then it was eight two in game two. You know, th- there were still good moments where the bullpen was able to hold hold the lead down, and I think that was important. But I mean, the the fact that it was fast start, fast start, fast start in all three games, I think that was really important. I mean, something that h- highlights to me was the four run inning uh, in game two when they got out to that four nothing lead. That was huge, I thought as well. Uh, and to start with Jose Barrios was 
coming off one of the bad starts and what was one of those guys that was pitching in Boston earlier in the week who needed to definitely bounce back as well. But you saw it with Varsho uh, singling. Brandon Belt had a really good weekend. He doubled. Kirk doubled. Like These were quick starts uh, in the first inning that were very important to this team. And I thought that it was just, to me, it was the way that this was all being done. It was smooth. It was being in control. People seemed calm. And I'm sure, you know, Again, it's not. It wasn't the end all, be all of what happened in Boston, and I, I just think it came with a lot of frustration. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it starts right in the clubhouse in terms of how frustrating that week was, and I'm sure they're aware that there's expectations they got to meet, and then of course the fan base was a little bit, you know, concerned as well, and the fact that they were able to just deal with all that quickly and just put it to bed. Like this was something that you don't have to deal with now going into another series where you're on another road trip or you're going to three cities and now you got to go to Philadelphia for another couple games as well. I just think that's, that's really important. I think that they don't have to deal with this for the rest of the road trip and something that might linger on. It just, it was, it was just a, a stretch where it wasn't them. It wasn't anything like them. And then the, and the fact that they were able to prove that and double down on that this weekend is very important. And of course it does start with uh, the leadership in the clubhouse and where that does start in terms of the experience and just the, you know, I guess the, the lessons that have been learned, especially with the younger players, I thought it's it's definitely really important on that. It's maintaining the confidence, staying the course, you know, communicating all of that. I think it's really important. It really goes a long way for teams like that. Like the way they played this weekend, it just it checks off all the circles. I know they're not going to play like this every single game. I understand that, but it just checks off all the circles of a team that's a playoff contender and a team that really has a chance to do some damage in October when they're all on the same page like that it's really it's 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 incredible to watch and of course we talked about that joke about you know turning off the TV of what happened in Boston like you just those were perfect games that you saw this weekend uh to an extent of just the fundamentals uh fundamentals and everything like that so I think that was really important as well and of course it does start I think from past lessons and just leadership experience and everything like that. And, of course, when you got a guy like Chris Bassett who's new to the team and saying that as well in May, that he knows he made the right decision and crediting all the the leadership that they have in the clubhouse, I think that really does go a long way. And it was really one of the important parts of how this team was able to turn it around this weekend. Speaking of veteran leadership and the new tone on this team, one of the guys we want to talk about is Brandon Belt because he had a phenomenal series. He only played two to three games, but – He's really turned it around, or at least is heating up and has started to turn his season around because we know how terribly he started the season. We've been talking about this all year, but in this series in Pittsburgh, again, two of the three games, game one in which he played May 6th, that was the Saturday game. He had two hits, both of which were doubles. He drove in two runs. He walked twice in three at-bats, five plate appearances. And then in the game three, which was today, Sunday, He had three hits in four at-bats. He had one double, one walk. Um, His presence in the lineup, we talked about this last week, but his presence in the lineup just really deepens what the Blue Jays are trying to do. Like, we talked about Varsho and Chapman staying hot and that sort of thing, and Varsho is another guy who stayed hot in this series. But if you get Brandon Belt to add to that list, all of a sudden you're going, okay, George Springer won, Bobichet two, Vladdy three, assuming he's healthy, which we're going to talk about Four, Chapman, five, Varsho, all these guys are hot. And then you have, if you have Brandon Belt in at the sixth hole and he's hot, all of a sudden you're talking about a lineup that has maybe three easy outs out of nine. And even then you throw Whit Merrifield in there who's been hitting well and he had a three-run homer in today's game. You have all these guys clicking together and all of a sudden you've got a team that's really, really hard to get out in a lineup that's really, really hard to beat. And I think 
Brandon Belt getting hot is a big part of that, especially because we talked about the lefty bat. We talked about the guy off the bench who can come in and pinch hit in situations where he needed. And Brandon Belt is fitting into that perfectly. And I've said it before. I think what he really adds to this team is the clubhouse influence. And anything you get out of the bat is just a bonus on top of that. And so far, at least this past series, we're starting to see the bonus that the Blue Jays can get out of the bat. So if that continues, which is a big if, you got to be really encouraged with what he's done. And you got to be really optimistic about the impact that he can have on the lineup. And again, even if other guys cool off, at least he's there to replace them. So you have kind of a next man up mentality where let's say Varsho goes cold or Chapman goes cold or Vladdy, God forbid, knock on wood, he has to hit the injured list because of whatever he's dealing with right now. If any of these things happen, it's nice to know that you have a next guy up who can replace him, who can make the lineup deeper and can still produce offensively, even if you don't have that big hitter or even if someone else cools down. So I'm really encouraged with what we saw with Brandon Bell. I hope it's the beginning of a turning in luck. Again, it's only two games, so it's hard to really tell so far. We need a little bit of a bigger sample size to be able to say authoritatively whether he's back or not. But I think one of the most encouraging parts, at least for me, is the walks that he's been taking. Because we know walks is usually an indicator of someone being better and being more comfortable at the plate and having a good eye and ready to hit and all those things. And the fact that he walked twice on Saturday and once today, to me, that's really encouraging as well. So really got to love with what you saw with from Brandon Belton. You hope it can continue past this series. And it was all along the lines of why he was brought in. Of course, we understand that where he is in his career and everything like that. But even the way it started for him, I think, I think we're, we were all optimistic that as much as he was struggling and he's still, I guess, for the most part of this season has been, he's still a better player than what he's been showing. And I think it just, it came along the lines of, we, we talked about the delayed spring, and I think it just along the lines of giving him a little bit more of a leash in terms of, uh, I guess, opening the season for him and giving him the opportunities. I mean, like this was a second stretch now, and you go back to the, la- I guess the last time he showed promise, uh, like he did this weekend was April 21st. Uh, and it was, that was the Friday game at Yankee Stadium where he had the home run, he had the double, but then after that, it kind of, it cooled off going into the next day. It wasn't something that he continued to build off of, but of course, you can also make the argument since that game as well, he was slowly building off things from that, like, a thing that comes to my mind is the amount of strikeouts that he started with at the beginning of the year, and then as the season's gone on, and regardless if it was from that game in New York, or maybe it was a little bit before that as well, where he was striking out less and he was starting to finally put, you know, put the ball in play or hit more foul balls and just kind of show some signs that he's moving in a good direction in terms of where his game is. And of course we saw finally what happened this week. And I mean, it was a very similar to me, it was a very similar feeling um, on or from basically what happened in game two at Brandon Belt from that game in New York, where it looked really good and you were, you were pretty confident with it. But then today, uh, in the Sunday game, what made it different from New York was that he was able to carry it in to the next day. This was something where he was now hitting back-to-back days, basically one of the team's hottest hitters in both of these lineups uh, that they did on the Saturday and the Sunday game. So I don't know how optimistic that gets anybody. For me, it gets me a little bit more optimistic than, of course, what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. Of course, there's still lots that he has to prove. But, I mean, if you just look at the span of his numbers over the like, going back over the last 15 days, um, this was something I think that was in the process of being made in terms of him finally 
just being more of a productive player. Again, we're not expecting him to hit 30 home runs, but if he can be a solid lefty at bat who can start most of the times against a righty pitching, who can be a bench option, although we haven't seen that a lot yet this year where he's come off the bench late in games, uh, that has a lot to do with the early season struggles. But if he can kind of add to that and be another option like that later on in, you know, later on in games, if he continues to hit well, uh, if a righty's coming out of the bullpen, I think that's very important for this lineup. But I mean, again, dating back to the last, uh, last 15 days over his last games or last eight games. I mean, he's been walking a ton. Uh, his OPS is well over 800. He's been hit, you know, he's been striking out less as well, which has been something that has been, in the process since the middle of April, I think that's huge. And of course, the walks that you were talking about—five walks in his last fourteen weeks, or sorry, fourteen weeks, the last fourteen days—and um, and that's also coming or acknowledging that he hasn't been playing every day in those last 14 days. So that's important to note that he's been playing, you know, maybe just a little bit under half of what the everyday players have been playing. He's been in the lineup about half the time over the last 15 days. Of course, over the last couple of days. He's in the lineup back-to-back days. Perhaps, of course, that is related to Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s uh, wrist issue that he's been dealing with, dealing with. But perhaps, of course, for the rest of the road trip, perhaps you see him starting a little bit more. He's going to get more at-bats, and he's going to get an opportunity, I think, to kind of take this with him. And I think John Schneider made a good point about that, and it's something that they highlighted on the telecast, is that they've been trying to give him more opportunities, and I think they understand that he needs reps to get going. But you just, the playing time only comes, uh, you know, it's only limited to an extent when you're on a competitive team like this and you're trying to keep everyone fresh and everyone in a rotation like that. So if he can continue to play uh, like he's been playing right now and force their hand to continue to put him in the lineup every day, it's his opportunity to continue to build off of stuff. And of course, what we saw this weekend in Pittsburgh was huge. And I think that was important. And if he continues to do that, he perhaps is going to have a bigger role with this team and something that maybe we envisioned a little bit more at the time of his signing is what he came in here to do. I think that's something that maybe will get a little bit more realistic. But of course, we don't want to jump the gun too much. He still has a lot to prove. But it's just a sign that since the middle of April, and of course, especially over the last couple of weeks, he's been playing a lot better, striking out less, walking more, putting the ball in play. And now, especially this weekend, the extra base hits are coming, and he was only missing out of a home run by a couple feet. Like the the doubles that he was hitting were pretty close to home runs in terms of you know high off the wall. So I think that's also crucial uh, that the power is there as well. But the extra base hits are is what's starting to come now along this process. It's something that he's got to build off of, but I think it's something that is a bit of a sigh of relief as well that we're finally seeing Brandon Bell contribute a little bit or a lot more than what we saw at the beginning of the year because, of course, it was a rough start and it wasn't exactly the greatest start to introduce yourself to a new fan base. Yeah, it certainly wasn't, but I mean, like, today's game alone, he could have had two home runs. Like, he had that long, hard single to right field where it was inches away from going out and then there was that ball hit to kind of right center field that bounced at the foot of the wall that if he got a couple extra feet on it maybe 10 extra feet it would have been gone um so yeah I mean this is totally different from what we saw at the start of the season um you mentioned the fact that he might be getting more playing time depending on what happens with Vladdy I'm like what do you what do you make of what we know about Vladdy so far like I mean obviously they're downplaying it but I mean, he's missed back-to-back games. This is, I I think it's his first time missing back-to-back games in the last, like, three seasons, right? Because he played every game 2020, played every game but one 2021, and then I think he missed maybe one or two games 2022. Uh, We can fact-check that, but, like, 
he's an Ironman. Like he's played practically every single game since 2020. And so the fact that he's missed back-to-back games for what I assume is the first time over that span, it does make me a little worried. But then again, they're downplaying it. You got the off day tomorrow. If he can take that day off, he's got four days off in a row that he can hopefully rely on, or I guess three days off in a row that hopefully kind of turn him around. So I don't know. I I, I kind of don't really know what to make of this. I don't think it's a huge problem when you have all these other guys who are hot and you're scoring, you know, four runs in a game on Friday, but then eight runs and 10 runs. Like it's not a problem that the Blue Jays have right now. It might be a problem when they run into better starting pitching as we saw, or as we're coming to learn with Pittsburgh, apparently they're not very good. Um, so maybe the hitting becomes a problem in Philadelphia or especially against Atlanta. We know how good their pitching staff is, but right now it's not a pressing concern, but obviously Vladdy's health, if he has to go to the IL or if this, if he has to sit out both games in Philadelphia or whatever it is, like it becomes a bigger issue. So I'm, I, I don't know how to read it. I don't know how you're feeling about the situation. Yeah. I, I like, I don't want to jump the gun too quickly on it either, just cause there's not too much we know about it, but of course, like, it was it was highlighted today in the game of what at bat it was and it was his first at bat on Friday. So basically when they showed the replay, I mean, he didn't there wasn't a big like sign of him wincing, but it sounded like it kind of got worse over the game and of course when he woke up the next day on the Saturday and then that's kind of when it flared up on him and they decided to give him a rest. And I think incorporating the off days with them that they have this week is pretty important too that they're able to do that and maybe a reason for why they did that especially sitting him today on the Sunday game. So I think I think the early the first report was is that he was potentially able to pinch it off the bench of course because the games are so out of reach this weekend we never actually got to see how true that was because if the game was close and if he wasn't coming off the bench then I mean it was obviously something that they weren't truthful about because if he was truly able to pinch it he would be. So that's something that we weren't able to actually I guess prove throughout the weekend so It'll be interesting to see what happens in the Philly series. For me, like this is just personal hunch with no other fact check on his actual injury. I mean, if he doesn't play, which which would be game one, which would be on Tuesday, I think me, I think it's kind of something that would start to catch my eye a little bit. Like you're having Saturday off, Sunday off, Monday off. That's three full days uh, of rest. And of course, if he comes back, it's a short two game series plus an off day at the end of the uh, at the end of the series when they come back home. So. I, I I would assume they're just playing it cool and playing it cautious and using the off days to their advantage. But, but of course, like you were talking about, this is something where we don't really see him missing back-to-back days. And just to pretty much confirm what you were saying earlier, it is true of how in 2020 he played all 60 games. In 2021, he played 161 games. 2022, he played in 160 games. So he only missed two last year. And this year now he's already missed two. And I think he might have... Yeah. I, and, and- yeah. Last year's games that he missed, he didn't play the final game of the season, and then he yep. didn't play the 20th game of the season. So very far apart. So this is the first time since 2019. Potentially, I, I'm going through the game logs in 2019, so we'll find out. But the first time since 2019 that he has missed back-to-back games. So it's been a quite a long time for those reasons alone. So, And you know, I think it's worth noting the obvious, too, is no matter how many guys are heating up and 
doing what they can to help fill the void when Vladdy Vladdy's not in the lineup. But this is something that carries over. Like this is something that seriously affects the lineup, no matter how good those guys are playing. Because of course we all know how important it is of having Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in this lineup. So I think that's the one thing where. If something were to happen, if there was any sort of scare, because we kind of went through something similar in spring training when he had the whole, uh, it was the knee sprain or kind of like tweaking his knee. There was a little bit of concern with that, I think, at first, but they were very cautious with it. Of course, it it led him to miss the WBC, and now I think they're also being cautious. But if it was going to happen at some point in the schedule, I think now would be the time or in terms of being lucky with it because of those off days that uh, we were mentioning. But, of course, that's all on the assumption that he is back at some point in the Philly series. So if that's not the case, I think there's going to be more questions asked about it, not just from, you know, not just from us, but of course from other people along the line. It's just something that there can, you know, people are monitoring now, but if you actually don't see that happen at some point in the Philly series, there might be some more questions asked about that. So I think that's kind of where we'll get maybe a better sense of where things stand. I think right now we're just under the whole notion or hoping for the best that this is just something that they're being cautious with but I mean there's no question of how you know a tremendous loss this would be in the lineup if he did have to miss some sort of time but of course we don't want to jump the gun too much on that till we know and I think by Tuesday we'll have a better idea of where things stand with that just to confirm from the game logs this is the first time in his major league career that he's missed back-to-back games in 2019 he had a couple games like close together that he missed like he didn't play in the 32nd game of the season. And then he also didn't, or 31st game. And then the 37th game he missed. So that's like within one week, essentially. And then he also missed the 65th game and then the 70th game. So again, within one week. And then um, there was a span that 110th game and then the 117th game that he missed. So like there was times during that season when he was taking a couple days off a week, but He's never missed back-to-back games, and all this goes to show that he's never really dealt with an injury or at least a serious enough injury to leave him out of the lineup consistently at the major league level. And so, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where the Blue Jays go from here. And, you know, on one side, we've been really, really lucky that Vladdy hasn't dealt with any of this, and he's been super healthy and consistent throughout his major league career. Then the other side of this is that you're hoping that this is a continuation of this situation and he's good to go on Tuesday and the Blue Jays are fine. But bottom line, we haven't seen really seen the Blue Jays lineup tested without him so far. And hopefully that continues into Philadelphia and hopefully it's not a problem for the team moving forward. Um, We got good performances from with Merrifield and Dalton Varsho in this series. We mentioned that a little bit with the offense. I don't know if you have standouts of your own that you want to, pick on I mean Nate Pearson had a good outing out of the bullpen again Jacob isn't here again to talk about him so we have to pump it up pump him up in his absence but that's what (laughs) four appearances yeah for Pearson so far five appearances so he's a third of the way there to the over I don't know how I'm feeling but uh what what other standouts do you have from this series who else were you impressed by I think concerned by I guess uh, yeah, um, I mean, we talked about, of course, the Vladdy thing and everything like that. But I mean, it was it's it's just funny because of how I guess everyone was contributing. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about a standout, as much as he still hasn't officially 
gone on a heater yet was George Springer, who kind of got the monkey off his back and hit that home run on Friday night. I think that was a big home run for him uh, in terms of that. And of course, it was only a one for five night for him. But you I mean, he's struggling at the plate. He has been. He's been a little bit, I think we've been noticing as well lately. He's been showing a lot more frustration. I mean, you look at what happened today. He had a check swing ground out and he just slammed his helmet uh, as he was running up first base. And usually he keeps his composure with that. So as much as he's not through or out of that yet I think it was at least important to a certain extent that um, he was able to get on the board with a home run like that I mean you talked about Whit Merrifield who we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of episodes and he finally went deep this weekend and of course I mean you look as well on the Friday or the Friday game yes with Alejandro Kirk he had a he had a couple big hits as well uh, in the beginning of the series so I mean it was just it was a collective effort I thought from everybody in terms of what we've been seeing like it was just Everything was in control, and I really, like, I think my favorite game offensively, as much as Sunday was the Sunday was the game where they scored all the 10 runs, I really liked how they started on the Saturday game, when they, again, when they came out with the four-run uh, first inning. To me, that was just, it was just cool seeing at-bat after at-bat where there were great hits. I mean, Matt Chapman continues to uh, hit the ball well. I mean, he had a couple big hits as well this series, and he continues to crush the ball. I don't know how much... We'll talk about it throughout the rest of the season, but of course he kind of hinted today when talking to reporters that, and who knows how truthful it is. I mean, he could just be saying that, and we've seen that so many times, but he's basically talking about how he's open to an extension and both sides want to get it done, and he's already being asked about it now in May, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, of course, he is a pending UFA, but a lot of that also has to do with the start that he's gotten off to because of how good and how basically he's been leading every category with all these numbers and, you know, just playing at a career best right now uh, as we are right now on May 7th. So hopefully he can sustain it to a, sustain it to a certain amount. I don't know how much to the amount that we've been seeing it will be, but we've talked about it a ton of the time. And, of course, Alejandro Kirk as well went two for three on the Saturday game. As much as, you know, I thought – as well, under the circumstances with with, uh, with Laddie's wrist injury, Kevin Biggio came into the – he was inserted into the lineup late. I thought he had a decent game going two for five. But And, of course, Kevin Kiermaier is another guy I thought that stood out, especially in game two and game three. He goes two for four on Saturday's game. And then, of course, today uh, in the Sunday game, he hits the home run deep uh, or late in the game, and he, he hit it pretty far as well. Not as far as Dalton Varsho hitting it all the way out of the park into the water, but, I mean – it was just a collective effort, I thought, from everybody as well. Like, everyone was just consistently getting on base, and the at-bats were flowing, and I thought that was really important. Like, it's it's hard for me to pinpoint any sort of actual negatives from this. Of course, the bullpen looked a lot better. You talked about it with Nate Pearson. I mean, and we talked about it as well. The last episode was Zach Pop officially on the aisle now. Jay Jackson was the guy who we were – I think we both actually had the hunch that it was going to be him uh, out of all the guys that were going to come up. But now that he's here with Jay Jackson – Nate Pearson perhaps can get more of an elevated role or see more time uh, in close to situations. We'll have to monitor that as that the time goes for that. But of course, I mean, Eric Swanson pitched well, Jordan Romano pitched well in both of the games that he appeared in. So hard to pinpoint any sort of negatives and it's kind of hard to also pinpoint any sort of individuals. But of course, I think we did the best we could with that. But just also knowing on the fact is that this team overall just played really well uh, one through nine for most of the weekend. Yeah, it was a real team effort. And if I had to pick out one negative we haven't talked about yet, that might be Jimmy Garcia in uh, today's yeah. game because, you know, he loaded the bases, got one out, and he had to hand things off to Jordan Romano in the hopes that he gets a five-out save in a game that ideally you wouldn't use him at all. Like, 
I know it's technically a safe situation, but if your bullpen is working the way it should, when you have a four-run lead, hopefully you don't have to use someone like Jordan Romano in that situation. But of course, the Blue Jays did to get out of the jam, and Jordan Romano did about as well as you could have hoped, getting the two outs and sending the Blue Jays to the top of the ninth, where they were able to you know, blow it open with the Whit Merrifield home run and the Kevin Kiermaier home run, and Belt had a his long single mixed in between there. So the Blue Jays were able to make it so that Romano only had to get two outs and rest him. Um, but I, I guess that's one nitpick you can have. And I don't think Jimmy Garcia is totally, I think he may have like pitched his way out of the you know, circle of trust as I think Shoa Lee on Sportsnet likes to call it. Like, I think he's kind of gotten himself out of that area. Like I think right now, honestly, maybe Nate Pearson is getting higher leverage situations than Garcia. It just, it feels like you can't rely on Garcia. Like, I was looking through the game logs. He has had six appearances this season out of 16 in which he's not allowed a base runner, and he's given up a hit or a walk or multiple hits or multiple walks in every other appearance so far, and his whip isn't terrible, but I think it's – I don't know. I I just don't totally have trust with Garcia this season. I think Pearson, in his time in the majors, has pitched better than him. So do I think – Pearson's going to be getting higher leverage situations? No. Like, I think Garcia is still be, going to be pitching in those situations. But I think right now, I'm, I kind of trust Pearson more than I trust Garcia, which, Bryson, don't rub it in. I don't need to hear it. I know, I know. I was wrong. But uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I think that's one nitpick from this series is that I don't really trust Garcia right now. It's hard not to. I mean, they're giving him opportunity after opportunity to like it's it's games where they're blown open for example like the game today on the Sunday game where they're just trying to give him any sort of I guess opportunity to catch momentum and then there's been games where there's act it's actually been really close late in the game where they've had to go to him um and it just hasn't worked out either so it, it pretty much backs to the point of what you were saying is no matter how it goes it seems like he's still going to be the guy that's going out there. It's just bizarre because of the spring he had. He looked really good in the spring. He looked good in the WBC. And he just hasn't been able to translate it. It just seems like as much as his velocity has been up, it's just been the whole control and the location. And it's been completely, you know, just out of whack. And it's not something that we were used to seeing once again this past spring or just at all last year. And it's been a heavy topic of conversation in terms of the circle of trust of who you actually do trust in this bullpen. And I mean, outside of Romano and Swanson, I agree with you. I mean, it's just very, the names are, there's there's not a lot of names. And I mean, Tim Meza is a guy I think that's on the outside yeah, of that or I, on the borderline. Go ahead. I was going to say Tim Meza is kind of the guy who I think has worked mm-hmm. himself into probably the number three spot right now. And with Mesa, you got to pick your spots with Mesa. So that kind of makes it a little bit more complicated. So it, it pretty much backs to the point, like you were saying, is that Nate Pearson has the chance, and of course it's been a good start for him, but he has that opportunity to get into that circle of trust. There's not a lot of names that are blocking him from that outside of, and I don't want to say they're blocking him from that, because of course you want to have as many arms as you can have in the circle of trust, but it's just outside of Swan, of course, Romano, Swanson, and Meza, of course, in those three, there's a chance for Pearson to get to that point. So I do wonder, though, as much as, um, of course, what you were saying now in terms of predicting that no matter what, Garcia is still going to be pitching in these games or whatever in these these high leverage situations. I do wonder at some point if this continues at this rate. Maybe that eventually changes. I don't know. Of course, I still think we're a little bit away from that as well. It's just something that 
you know, it's banking on the fact that we're basically assuming that Garcia never figures it out and then Pearson continues to pitch well. But of course, uh, Garcia, there's a chance that he can figure it out. And of course, if Nate Pearson continues to pitch well, that just gives you another option and it gives you a ton of options late in the game. And I think you feel a lot better of what your bull or of your bullpen in that situation. So I think for the entire bullpen sake and for the Blue Jays sake, it, you got to hope at some point Garcia can figure it out. It's just, again, opportunity after opportunity, he hasn't been able to do that. Like he's had situations where, or I guess appearances where he's had a clean inning uh, here and there, but it, it hasn't been consistent. He'll go out the next night and then he'll look completely different. He'll give up a couple runs and then it'll kind of be like that for two or three straight appearances and then it'll kind of repeat. So he's got to figure that out. I don't know. I don't know when or if he will, um, to be honest. But, of course, I think we can be just seeing what we saw last year. He definitely had it in him last year. I don't. Who knows if he has it in him this season, and hopefully at some point he does. But other than that, that circle of trust is thin, and Nate Pearson continues, if he continues to pitch well and stay healthy, can pitch himself into that circle of trust and be an option late in games. A little pop quiz for you. Tim Mesa. Uh, yeah. His last 14 games... How many earned runs has he allowed? I'll say two. Zero. Zero. I had zero. a feeling it was zero. And, and he's pitched 15 games this season. So his first appearance, yeah. he faced how many batters? He faced three batters in his first appearance, and he gave up a run. That's the only run he's allowed this entire season. His ERA since then is zero. His ERA, including that, is 0. 0.79. Like He's been wow. phenomenal. He's been a rock for the Blue Jays out of the bullpen. And I think he's done it really, really quietly. Like, I don't think we're really talking about him or at least talking about him as much as he deserves because he's been absolutely phenomenal for the Blue Jays. And even if you want to, like, extrapolate past ERA and past earned runs, like, he struck out 12 batters and walked zero this season. That includes the first outing when he gave up a run. So he's been absolutely phenomenal. I don't think we give him enough praise out of that bullpen. But – uh before we get to the series predictions for the two-game series against Philadelphia, I want to ask you, because you were in Pittsburgh, what your impression of PNC Park was. And, I mean, it looked like there was a lot of Jays fans who made the trip down, so I'm curious what the environment was like. I'll tell you what, Mark. I've, I've seen a couple now um, in terms of Chicago, Boston, New York. I think, for me, in terms of just ballpark-wise, it was by far my favorite one in PNC Park. I, li- I, I like the backdrop. Uh, of just of the buildings and then the bridges, I think that was I think that's one of the coolest parts about that. But uh, it just I was able to do one of those pregame tours as well, kind of just learning about it a little bit more. And it's really cool of how they, I guess how they built it and how they're trying to you know bring as much as they can in terms of memory pieces from Forbes Field over to PNC Park. I think that's also really cool for those who like history. Some are bored or you know find that boring. That's okay. But I mean just personal opinion on that. I really I do like that. Of course, there's the five statues outside of it. Uh and then of course the environment itself though, I think that was one of the best parts. Um I was able to sit above the Blue Jays dugout and that's where I felt like that's where most fans were. I could be wrong, but of course, that's where I was sitting. So that's my bias is that it felt like most fans were there. It was just, it was incredible of how loud it was. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. And it was kind of funny, like hearing from, hearing from Pirates fans of just, I guess the, the shock that from them of how many fans there were, uh, of 
how many fans of the Blue Jays were there and of course how loud it was as much as you're you know a minority as the visiting fan but how loud those chants were of the let's go Blue Jays chant like a lot for me I heard a ton of people who were surprised about that and just people who were kind of shocked of how how well Blue Jays fans travel and no matter what it is Blue Jays fans always travel well that's always been a well-known thing but of course Pittsburgh being only five hours from the city around there uh, at least it's a it's it's a quitty, uh, it's an easy commute, of course, to get to Pittsburgh. So it was interesting seeing the city and kind of, I guess how it it's different from you know bigger cities that you've seen in the United States. But the park itself is, I think, as as well as advertised in terms of how beautiful it is, how good of condition it is, uh, and of course, just again, my favorite part about it being the backdrop of it behind it. And again, just the environment of Blue Jays fans being there, the fact that they were able, able to sweep this week, and I think that made it the the best part for me too, and that was probably my my favorite part, just seeing everybody, or all the Blue Jays fans together, and of course, you know, just everyone acknowledging each other. Although I will say, I I will admit, there was about, about two or three Pirates fans who heckled me, individ- just heckled me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, about the Leafs. Like, I... I that was unnecessary. Like there was one guy that actually rolled down his window and stopped his car to heckle heckle me about the Florida Panthers that sweeping them. So I will say that that was my only kind of letdown. But if that was my only letdown, that's okay. It was a really fun weekend. Yeah, a little bit of a flagrant foul on the sides of the <laughs> Pirates fans for saying that. But yeah, did you get um? Did you get to walk across Roberto Clemente Bridge, or is it still closed? Still closed. When I went last year, it was closed. Till the su- uh, I think the summer they said it was open. Okay, but still That's closed. Yeah, it's got it's all tarped off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Last year, so it looks like it's just the bottom that's tarped off now, right? Just the bottom. Okay, because last year was the entire thing was tarped off. So it was kind of wow. like the skyline was still beautiful, but it was kind of a letdown that I couldn't see the bridge. So at least yeah. you got that. But yeah, you mentioned Forbes Field and Forbes Field is uh, there's still they still have the outfield wall to it up. It's over. But I think I think it, I forget the name of the university. It might be the University of Pittsburgh or it might yeah, be Carnegie Mellon. It's around. I can't remember the exact, but it's yeah, it's near you. It's basically on the university. Yeah. 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 And like the the walls of the old field are there and they have a plaque saying like this is where the um the final the the walk-off home run of the whatever is 56 world series i think bill mazeroski uh and then also uh, babe ruth hit his last three home runs of his career at that ballpark so it was cool when i was there to see that kind of piece of history and know that it's still kind of celebrated in the city and i think every year on the anniversary of the bill mazeroski home run they there's a bunch of fans who go there and listen to the radio call yeah. of the game, which is just super cool to see that, you know, as much as the Pirates have been terrible over the last few years, there's a deep history of baseball in Pittsburgh, and they really appreciate it. And the ballpark itself really celebrates that. And so I can't say enough praise about Pittsburgh as a city and certainly the ballpark, and I'm glad that you experienced the same thing. Um, okay. Speaking of Pennsylvania cities, the Blue Jays are going to Philadelphia, which is another city I'm fond of, and another ballpark I'm fond of. They've got their two, their their one A and one B on the mound. They're two aces in theory, at least. Alec Manoa is going game one on Tuesday. Kevin Gosman is going game two on Wednesday. What are your series predictions? And I will frantically try to get one out of Jacob before we come around to it. So this is tough because it's the two game series are always tough. Um, I mean, I like to think I'm back, kind of back on a roll. Not quite yet. I would have been cool to 
predict the sweep and be the only one that did that. But of course, that didn't happen. But I mean, you talked about it. Manoa and Gosman go, but of course for Philly uh, on when or on Tuesday night, it go Aaron Nola's going as well uh, for Philly. And then when Kevin Gosman goes on game two, it's uh, it's Zach Wheeler. So it's going to be, I think there's going to be a good, both games have a good pitcher's duel, but of course Nola hasn't gotten off to the greatest start, but neither has Manoa. Um, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to play it safe and, and call it a split. And I'll say, I'll say they win the, I'll say they win the second game with Gosman going. I just think that's my hunch on that. But I mean, two game series are always the most difficult, I think, to predict uh, just because of how short it is and kind of, you don't know if you want to go all the way with the sweep or not. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll play it safe with the, uh, with the split and they win game two with Kevin Gosman pitching. Okay, we don't have anything from Jacob yet, so it might not make the cut. We may have to get it after we record, but it'll go in the spreadsheet anyways. But I don't know, I'm torn. Like, I really do want to say they sweep it because it is two games and you got, in theory, at least your best two pitchers on the mound. But I think I got to go with you on this one and say uh-huh. they lose game one with Manoa because it's like it's Manoa, Aaron Nola. And Aaron Nola hasn't had the greatest start to the season, but he's a phenomenal pitcher. And then, so I think it, it's... It's my gut instinct that they lose game one and they win game two with Gosman and all. So I'll go with you on that one. And we do have word from Jacob. He is going to sweep. Um, I, I I mean, there's nothing else to say. He thinks they'll sweep it. So, I'm shocked uh, we'll by that. I really am. Yeah, I didn't think he would go with it, but oh, ah, here we are. Um, okay, so to update the standings regretfully, um, both Jacob and I lose a point because we both said they would go one and two. Uh, you said they would go two and once you gain a point for being closer. So the standings, right? You're kind of running away with it right now. You've got 23 points in the standings. Jacob's at 18. I'm at 17. It's a tough look for us early in the season. You're running away with it. Um, okay. So we got a day off. We got two games in Philly. We got another day off. And then we got finally back at home, Atlanta. It should be a great home stand. As always, you can support our podcast by checking out our Buy Us a Coffee page. You can also rate and review our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. You can find us on YouTube. You can join our Discord. You can do all of that at the link in our bio on social media. That's linktree slash section 138 pod. Or you can just go below this episode and find it in the show notes. We'll catch you next time.